0: lovely to be with you. I realised in preparing for today this is the penultimate time I'm preaching. Uh, (laughs) And uh, my final time of preaching as the senior pastor here will be in two weeks time. Um, So if you're around two weeks time, um, it's not a series, I'm just going to do a one-off and felt the Lord say, what do you want to speak on, Jason? So I'm praying and I'll bring something to share with you that Sunday. Bev sends her love, she's not well. Um, I was ill last Sunday with a really bad cold and we've kissed too much this week and now Bev (laughs) is um, ill as a result. Um, Knew that kissing was bad for you, so she sends her love. Um, And many of you have been asking how we're feeling about moving and leaving and how things are going and things are progressing. It's like the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Um, we've got contracts, new jobs to go to. Um, we're in that wonderful place of spiritual warfare with, um, that happens when you sell and buy a house with, with lawyers. Um, It's 25 years since I moved house. It's all on nine now, but as far as I can tell, everything else is still just as painful as it was 25 years ago. But um, if you pray for something, pray for us for a couple of things, pray for the practicalities. That would be wonderful. We're hoping that um, we'll uh, exchange uh, this week uh, for moving. Um, And it's starting to hit home. Um, We've been quite busy since we told you that we were moving on Um, and it's been wonderful to see what the Lord's been doing with Steve and Lynn here, haven't they been amazing with us, Um, it's been wonderful Um, and uh, we've been busy with that but it's just starting to hit home so on the 6th, I hope you can join us and celebrate, Um, I'm going to bring my best um, non-run mascara, I'm going to need it on the day. But one of the things that we've been really encouraged with most of all is so many people that have spoken to us have said, do you know, we're, we're sad you're leaving, but we're excited. Excited about what God's doing with you. And actually, in the story that we've told, if you've missed it, you can go online and catch it. Um, in the story that we told, again, I've heard people reflect back, gosh, if God can do that level of intervention for you, what's he got for us? And Stephen Lynn are a token of God's grace in that regard. So thank you for that as you've extended that to us. And we believe that God is still growing this church. And it is his purposes that he wants to fulfill here and he will continue to. So bless you as you continue to uh, seek him uh, together. So we've been doing a series on the kingdom of God. Um, We sketched this out before the summer in the preaching team. And we felt as the church was 25 years old, it would be good to come back to and revisit. And we also have lots of people in our church who are new to our church, which has been wonderful as well. What makes us a vineyard church? Um, There's a theological term called a charism, which has been used through church history, a particular gift and calling. People have that individually. Churches have it. Um, Denominations have particular charisms. Um, And one of the things we believe in the vineyard, uh, one of our highest values, is in the whole body of Christ, that the Lord uses the whole body, Catholics, Protestants, Baptists, Pentecostals, vineyard, to engage with his purposes in the world. And we're just one part of the whole of the body. But we have some things that we know the Lord has called us to. We have some things out of which our church movement began, and it is a worldwide movement of churches. Um, And we focus on those not because we think we're better, but because we can't do everything and because we focus on the mission that God's called us to. So that's why we thought after 25 years is those are the reasons that we planted our church, the values and the ingredients of our church. It would be good to celebrate those and remind ourselves of those. And that's what we've been doing these last few weeks. And I'm going to do something with you today. I'm going to do what I had planned to do on the 11th of September, but didn't because Bev and I announced that we were leaving. Um, So I'm going to do a summary of all of the kingdom vision and values. um, And then a couple of things I feel the Lord's told me to focus in on as we do that together. Is that okay? All ready? So I'm going to do this in three parts. First part is we're going to get some slides. I don't normally do slides, but here you go you get some slides. Can we get up the first slide? I think that's going to appear. This we call vineyard person. Um, This is the thing we use in vineyard churches. John Wimber, our founder, um, who passed away in 1997 approximately, um, was asked once with all the vineyard churches around, well, what is a vineyard church? And he got out a napkin in a restaurant and drew this. And since then, this has become something that pastors and leaders in vineyard churches use. It's a very memorable way to explain those values and the charism and who we are and what God's called us to. And I'm going to do three things. I'm going to walk through this with you. Um, I was going to say as John Wimber did, but I know no idea quite how he did it, but we get the rough idea. Then I'm going to ask do a second thing with you and a third thing and we'll we'll get to those so the first one is so this Vinyar person we imagine ourselves as the church as a body it's the place to start with a metaphor scripture tells us there's lots of ways to understand the church as a temple a building a fellowship a community households there's lots of different things i've got one of the words tattooed on me ecclesia uh, a word that can mean just a few people or a whole city Um, But in particular, the metaphor of the body, the the church is the body of Jesus. Jesus said in John, he said, it's better I go so that I can come back. And one of the ways the Lord comes back to us is by his spirit, through his people. His body now is us. So that's the beginning of this metaphor, which is why it's a person, vineyard person. Next slide. So our foundation. Have any of you seen foundations going in for a house? I have, Bev and I, we we hope we're buying a new build house. It's been fascinating to go and look at, I've heard about it and I've seen videos, but to actually get up close and see how big a hole they dig and how far down things go and fill it. And you're thinking, when they finish that, nothing is going to move, which is what you want when you buy a house, don't you? (laughs) And, you know, for our foundations, where do we... Where can we ground ourselves? Where can we stand on in our lives and in our world and in our mission in the world as God's people? And the first place is the Bible. Uh, Unashamedly, God's word. Not sociology, not economics, not the news, not social media, not psychology, but God's word. And God's word is many things, but it is God's activity. It's 66 books. Some are gospels, some are epistolary, some are history, some are poems. Um, And in all those books, we see how God has worked in the world with his people and how he speaks to us. So if we want to be God's people, we start with God's word. And believe that God inspired it and breathed it. And it is his revelation to us. And from God's word, we have um, an understanding of a particular thing in the vineyard, which is called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, we had Paul Lewis, two or three weeks ago, wonderfully talk about the kingdom of God. If you missed that, go and get the podcast. But to abridge that, it's this idea of the now and the not yet. We use a metaphor often to talk about the kingdom. Um, World War II, we had V. I can't remember them. I should have remembered the metaphor. Brian's going to tell me, aren't you, Brian? Thank you. V-E day day and then V-J. No? D-day. D-day and V-E day. And people, um, historians would say D-day was the end of the decisive day that was the end of the Second World War. The end of the Second World War began then. But did you know more people died between D-day and V-E day the complete cessation of hostilities than in the whole of the rest of the second world war and we we see that it's a metaphor a very powerful one for scripture Jesus has come he's died he's risen from the dead the enemy is defeated and Jesus is returning at the end of times d-day has happened on the cross but we now live in a battle have you ever wondered why our world is a mess and life is difficult it's because we're in a spiritual battle scripture tells us again and again And one thing Christians like to do is collapse tensions in life. Again, go back to Paul's talk. We either want everything from God now, as if it's all over and nothing should go wrong and there shouldn't be any problems and there'll be no suffering. And there are forms of Christianity that want to try to live like that. And they're delusional. Because that's not life. Or the other end is there's nothing to experience of God until we die. It's called dispensationalism. And in the vineyard, we believe in the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom is now, but not yet. It breaks in. Not everyone's healed, but some people are. Miracles happen. It's why, have you watched the news this week? You know, to to watch the tragic story of a group of ordinary people, including young people, blown up at a petrol station in Southern Ireland and go, the tragedies of a broken, fallen world still continue whilst I can be praying that I exchange on my house this week, as if God would care about it. You see, without an understanding of the now and not yet that we're in a battle, we can't make sense of the ambiguity of life and the pains of life and the difficulties of life and the sufferings of life. So the kingdom gives us confidence that God is active in the world, but it also helps us understand why we're in a battle and we're supposed to pray and to serve and push back the darkness and cast out demons and pray for the sick and feed the poor until Jesus comes. Are you with me? The kingdom is, is, is the main way that we function as a church. Then um, two legs of a vineyard church. Two practices, priorities. If you go to any vineyard church in the world, they can be small, they can be thousands of people, but you'll, you'll find this foundation and the idea of the kingdom, the kingdom just under the surface, the now and the not yet, but you'll always find in every vineyard church I have ever visited or friends have ever been to, you always find these two things. And this first one is worship. And some people say, why do you always worship everything? On Sundays, in small group, in prayer meetings. One of the things our movement was birthed out of was worship. A move of the spirit of God in worship. Um, church historians academics who look at the history of modern worship in the world I can point you to some books say if it wasn't for the vineyard you wouldn't have worship the way we have it in modern churches today it's something that God did and in particular intimacy the idea that in worship we don't just sing songs about God but we sing to him and meet him personally intimately that's a huge thing that God did. doesn't mean he doesn't do it with other people, but he did that in particular through the vineyard in a particular way. And also worship means, is, is primarily something else. We understand ourselves as the people of God, as people who worship God. People who get together. Always seems quite old-fashioned now, doesn't it? The idea that why do you go to church? Because I'm gathering as God's people to worship him. That's something previous generations understood quite well as Christians, but for modern Christians, it's kind of a strange thing. Well, I haven't got anything else on. Or I like it when I worship because God meets me. No. We have amazing experiences with God, but we understand in the vineyard the reason we worship is God is God and we are not. And we are his people. And we gather to worship him, to acknowledge that he is king, that he is sovereign. Do you realize what happens when we get here in this hall? We come together this week with so many other things. Vladimir Putin is not Lord of the earth. Jesus Christ is. How do we declare that? On our own? No, as God's people. Around the world, billions of people will gather on a Sunday and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not Liz Trust, not the Bank of England, not Vladimir Putin, not my fears, but Jesus Christ is Lord lord that's why we gather but the other thing about worship is worship comes from the word worship. you know this and what we all worship every single being every single human being is worshiping this sunday morning maybe they're asleep they're worshiping their bed maybe they're playing golf maybe they're on holiday maybe they're out running maybe they're with their family Worship is worship um John Wimber used to say this John Mumford that was our national director used to say said if i want to know what you really worship show me your bank account and your diary where our time energy and money goes reveals what we really truly give worth to and worship and we're a movement about not just singing songs to god but giving our lives back to him in return again why did you come here this sunday one of the reasons we meet here in this hall is to worship God and remind ourselves that he is God and we are not the other way is to return ourselves to him and say God I give myself back to you Lord I've given myself to so many other things this week I'm sorry take me back worship and then compassion he's good at the back isn't he every time I look around he's like click very good Chris compassion we had Hannah up here on the stage talking about something as simple as when we're buying our food to buy some more and put it out there. Um, And it remains, we're going to look at this a little bit later this morning, it's one of the strangest things that God's people could worship him and then do absolutely nothing about it in the rest of the world, quite often. That life is perfectly designed for us to go to work, get completely exhausted, come home and hide away from the world. And yet to encounter Jesus... to go back out into the world with his love for others scripture will tell us that if we have really loved god we will love others one of the ways that the world knows that we've really met with god is because we love them and we don't do what the rest of the world does which is i'm knackered i'm exhausted i've got nothing left over get to me later maybe next year intimacy and engagement those are two other words i could have put up here To be intimate with Jesus is to be engaged with the things that he loves. Compassion. And this thing about, and this was was originally the main talk for today, and, and I think it really just comes down to something as simple as this. If we are unable to care for others, our neighbors, pray for other people, be mindful of them, if all we do is go to work, be exhausted, come home and hide away, we probably have not really encountered Jesus in the way that he wants us to encounter him. It's as stark as that. I could do a whole talk on that, but go to the Gospels and look at what Jesus invites us to. Meet me. Now you go. This thing I've done with you. Oh, Lord, it's awesome. Great. Go and do it. It's one of the things I loved about the vineyard when I joined it. And John Mumford was just fantastic. I remember being 19 years old. I mean, what do you know at 19? I'm 53, realized I didn't know anything. Thought I knew everything. And and I remember being at a a conference. This is just, I'm just, I I have prepared very little for today because I felt the Lord tell me not to and to just speak from my heart with some words that he has. I remember being at a conference and some Christians were doing some really weird things. You know, Christians can do weird stuff. And I could see the woman being prayed for was very, very upset about how she was being prayed for. So I went running over to John and I said, John, that lady over there, this is awful, could you go and stop it? And you know what? He looked at me and he went, you go and stop it. I'm like, I'm 19, I can't do anything. And I remember a moment of engagement. I remember a moment of having to make a decision with every single excuse that came up inside me. I could see someone in distress and everything inside me said, this is someone else's problem, not mine. And John Mumford was wonderful. He goes, are you a disciple? Follow Jesus. Serve Jesus. Go. And I will remember to this day, walking up, shutting it all down, I was so patronized by this. Well, young man, I've been praying for Christians for 25 million years. If you knew, and I just let them do it all. And when it had finished, the woman turned around to me and she said, thank you. That was so upsetting. And then I got to pray with her. And again, it's just, I don't know how you find your place in space. But I, what I'm speaking about here with compassion is, if we've really met Jesus, we will get outside our comfort zones, outside our tiredness, outside our apathy and indifference, outside our lack, and say, Lord, I have nothing. And he says, wonderful, because I have everything. You see, to speak to someone, to care for someone, to pray for someone, is very difficult to do. Unless you do it regularly and then it becomes kind of fun. Some of you know what it's like to do it regularly. But at first, it's terrifying. I haven't got anything. You see, every single moment that you get to a threshold where you feel, I have nothing, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I'm not enough, I can't do enough. That is the very threshold of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, good. Intimacy and engagement, worship, compassion. and Then four things. To be the body on the torso that we talk about in the vineyard, that, that flow from that, um, hospital, community, school, and army. Hospital, a place to get well. We've got a bereavement course on. Did you notice that? Why do we do things like that? So that we can be healed again. Haven't got time this morning. The Lord wants to heal us and transform us. I'm 53 years old, and I've been having more inner healing and transformation with Jesus in the last two years than I can remember in the. Th- 40 years I've been a Christian and the law says if you think I've finished I haven't it never stops his healing and transformation is available to us um, community I said lots of words to be the church family is is one of them but a community, God's people and we believe that the church is a community um, When we uh, when we began the church I used to say God wants you to be part of a church family if you're a Christian. The only question is which one? There is no such thing in Scripture as a Christian who is not part of a church family. It's an oxymoron. You can't be a Christian on your own. You might be for a little while, you might be between churches, but the idea of a Christian who never takes part in a body of God's people with his purposes in the world is anathema to Scripture. We're supposed to be a community together. And then school, learning. We have discipleship groups in our church. You come here on Sunday and there's preaching and teaching. We do things with the kids where they learn how to pray and do Bible studies. Um, Is Lucy here this morning? Pick on Lucy. No, she's not. She's upstairs in kids. There you go. Lucy became a Christian quite relatively late in life compared to the statistics. Most people that become Christians usually do so when they're young. Uh, Lucy is young. She's only in her early 30s. But I noticed, and Bev and I did, and other people, I said, Lucy, you just seem to, you haven't been a Christian very long, but you know so much about about the Christian faith. How is that? She said, oh, other people ask me that. She said, I think it's because I've been serving in Vineyard Kids for two years. See, Lucy went up to help in Vineyard Kids, and all those things that our children were learning about who Jesus is, guess what? Lucy was learning. So if you want to be vibrant in your faith, another way to become vibrant, if you've never really understood who God is, go and spend time with your kids for a couple of years and come back as a better Christian. Learning. An army. This is probably the one that we find the the least palatable. Militaristic language. But it's in Scripture, not for violence, but we're like the Peace Corps. We're told to be soldiers. The idea that God is God and I am not, that he gives me orders. Scripture again and again talks about being a slave and being commanded by Jesus. And this is almost utterly a complete anathema in our Western world. The idea that Jesus would say, go, and we would go. Oh, hang on a minute, Lord, I'm a bit busy. You know the idea that Jesus is Lord and Saviour? We like the saving bit, but the idea that Jesus is Lord... When I first became a Christian, I had a great Baptist pastor, Steve Gorkroger, and I remember the first time I heard him say that. Jesus is Lord and Savior. He's not one or the other. He's your Lord. If Jesus is Lord, there is no such thing as no Lord. Now, Jesus is wonderful, and we can wrestle with him and argue with him, and he's very kind and he's very gracious. But ultimately, when he says, Jason, I've told you, I have a place inside me that has to say, yes, Lord, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Does that sound familiar? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. One of the ways that God's will comes on earth is by his people saying yes to God's will on earth. And there's things like Ephesians, where we're told, to Paul tells us, our battle's not against flesh and blood, but but a spiritual battle, and to put on the armour of God. So, then we've got two arms of our church, how we reach out into the world. So, if you come to our church, you'll hear the Bible, we focus on the kingdom, we have worship, we're always calling one another to engage in the world, we focus on those four things, hospital, school, army, in community, but then the way we reach out as a church is in two ways, and one of our arms is church planting. So we're here because we were planted as a church, and our church plants more churches. One of the reasons we plant churches is that new churches are a good way to reach people that aren't in church. Um, so we have a church planting arm, and very focused still on church planting, and then church development, and we're very focused as a church group of people around the world on the health of our churches with coaches and mentors and spiritual directors and training and we have a value and openness of working with other churches to develop our churches so that we can be engaged together in the world with one another which is why every you know why we partner with other churches why Sutton Community Works was birthed out of a vision many years ago of our church helping other churches to partner together locally Okay, and then the head of the church at the top, making disciples. I can't read that. And equipping the church. Equipping the saints for works of service, which is Ephesians. So what sets at the top of us overall? And then above that, Jesus. Jesus is the head of his church. We take our direction from him. Does it all make sense? Right, that was the first bit. Let's do the second bit. I want you to imagine a blank piece of paper. Maybe you've got a piece of paper in your hand, like this. And you could do this in your mind's eye, or if you have a pen and pencil, you could draw one near you. If if this was the world, the universe, and there was you, and there was the church, and you had to draw two circles... One was the church and one was you. What would you draw? Would you draw you down here as a little circle and the church as a big one? Or would you be a big circle in the middle and the church up here? So just, I want you for a moment, As an just as a gut feeling, I know some of you will find it hard if you're kinesthetic learners, you actually need to do this. But if you were to get a pencil and put the church in you, could you imagine, can you imagine right now what size you would be as a circle, what size the church would be, and where you would be in relationship to each other. Can you do that in your mind's eye? Great. Hold that picture. Um, I once read a whole load of research about people in marriages that were in difficulty and whether they were going to make it. And they crunched as much research as they could on on couples who were having a hard time in their relationship with each other. And there was the type of therapy they had, if they did therapy together, their socioeconomic background, everything. They put it all together to try to say, is there a simple way to predict whether a couple in their relationship would be able to stay married to each other or not? And they managed to distill it down to one thing. It was quite phenomenal. And what they found was this that if you get a married couple with a piece of paper and ask them to do that exercise that I just did with you, if the couple draw themselves as separate from one another without any intersection or touching, the likelihood is that they will never make it together no matter how much therapy or counseling they have because it reveals that fundamentally they understand themselves as separate. Isn't that amazing that one drawing could reveal so much? Didn't matter if the couple had one of them as very tiny and the other one is huge, but as long as they were touching. He's huge and overwhelming and I'm tiny and little. As long as they were touching, they had a chance. One of the illustrations in the Bible, one of the metaphors about the body of Christ and its relationship to us is, is what? You know where this is leading. Some of you know your Bibles. We are, you and I, are the what of Christ. The bride of Christ. So when I asked you, I'm overlaying this metaphor, where's the church and where's you? If in your mind's eye the church is over here somewhere and I'm here, that's probably quite revealing. It doesn't matter whether the church is huge and you're tiny. It doesn't matter if the church is tiny and you're huge. Are you in contact with one another? And I've been sitting on that metaphor for about 20 years and never used it in a talk. (laughs) Ever. But I felt it was what was at stake today as I was preparing and praying. Because all of that stuff, does that sound good to you? But I bet a whole load of you are going, it's a bit knackering, isn't it? How many of you have got all the spare time in the world to engage in all of that? None of you. Just as the person in a marriage who's not going well, who is disconnected and focused on themselves. I'll pick on men, because I'm a man. The man that gets married then realizes this is hard work. The cooking, the cleaning, the budgeting, the time, the effort. And they get further and further away and they go, it was, I just, it was much more fun when it was just me. But anyone in a good marriage knows the things of a marriage are the marriage. They're not extra. They're not something to add on because you had loads of spare time. They are life. Any of you had children? They don't fit. They don't fit your bank balance. They don't fit your emotional capacity. They don't fit your sleep reserves, that's for sure. They're not an extra because you had nothing better to do. They become the life itself, don't they? And that's what's at stake with being part of the body of Christ. It is not an extra. It is an alternative way of living and being. And one of the reasons so many Christians in life struggle with the church, and they end up in decreasing circles of distance, and they occasionally come on a Sunday once in a while, and then eventually that peters out. That's not being the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. Just like the husband who one day comes home from work and realizes he's not spent one moment of intimacy with his partner for years. So the logical conclusion is to just move on. And that is really the heart of the message I had today. That if we think being the body of Christ is just something to add on, we've missed completely what it is. It's a whole way of life. I want to share another couple of metaphors and then we're going to work back through this a different way to finish. Um, Christ, his cause, and his church. you ever heard of those three things? John Mumford used to say it. John Wimber used to say it. We're supposed to be converted followers of Christ, Christ's cause, and the church. But again, one of the things we like to do in the West, so a particularly Western thing, we turn things into funnels of decreasing availability and commitment. And we like the first bit I like Jesus, I want some help from Jesus, but Jesus wants us to do stuff in the world, oh, I've got less availability for that, and then the church gets whatever's left over, you following me? Another metaphor that I've heard used, and I think actually was helpful in its time in some ways, but is remarkably very unhelpful and can be very destructive to us. Um, there used to be a time, I remember it, I became a Christian in the 1980s, and there was a world in which some Christians spent so much time in church, they were never available for their work or their family. Do any of you remember those days? They don't exist anymore. There's, there's a few people that live their whole life in church, but not many. And, and at that time, a corrective metaphor was used, that what we should do is it should be God first, then us, then our family And right at the bottom would be church. Now, I've known a few pastors over the years who said they needed to hear that because it was God first and their family got everything that was left. One of the things we've done with the metaphor of switching it around is what you end up with is the church gets nothing. The body of Christ is nothing. It's last. Whatever is last on your list. Have any of you ever sat down and made a to-do list? A proper one. I put things on my list that I've done and cross them off just so I can feel that I've done something. I did, I've got so many things to do at the minute, I'm actually, oh, I did something extra. Write it down, cross it off. If you sat down right now and made a list of everything and prioritised it, you couldn't possibly do it all. There's too many things to do. And what happens is, with church, we can end up putting it right at the bottom So being the bride of Christ and participating in the mission of Jesus in the world and all these things often never happens because it's last on the list. With me? So, I shared that with you, did those two things, to say this is what we are as a church. And some of you are like, great, I love that. But I really did feel the Lord say there's something at stake, especially after covid where it just doesn't fit and it will never fit unless the bride of Christ becomes a way of life so this third thing I want to do is I'm going to work back up through this to finish with you what's at stake what's at stake if we never get to follow Jesus and his cause and his church and be part of his body what's at stake for the rest of the world and for us if we don't participate in a church family somewhere as followers of Jesus Well, I think something's at stake if you have kids. Children aren't stupid. I used to be a child. Was anyone here a child at once? (laughs) If you were a kid, you know exactly what your parents' real values in life were and what they really worshipped, didn't you? And you knew every single moment where your parent told you one thing but lived something very different. Didn't you see it completely? And there is a whole generation of children who've grown up who have been told that Jesus is Lord but who have seen something else with their parents. That Jesus was not Lord. And that the church was utterly optional. And we wonder why they don't want anything to do with the church. Whatever we worship. That's one thing that's at stake with children. Another one is what's at stake for us? What's at stake for us is we miss out on the best life that we could ever have. Jesus says if we live this way, in some way, an approximation of this way with him, somehow, with other people, he promises us. Let me read you one promise from John. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. This is one of my favorite Bible verses. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. There are some promises in Scripture that we can take to the bank. Jesus says, people that obey my commands are the ones who love me. And I can't help myself because the Father will love you if you obey me and I will love you and we will make our home with you. It's just one scripture. So what's at stake when we put the church last on the list and we don't never get round to it and the mission of God and all those things. If we make them optional and if we don't have them as a way of life with one another, we miss out on knowing more of Christ's love for us and the Father's love for us and his home with us. Does that make sense? That's what's at stake. Let's finish off by walking backwards. We'll walk through the top. We'll go downwards. Jesus, he's the head. He's it. He is life. If we have Christ, we have life. He is not something to get life. He is not someone to help us get something else. He is life itself. And that's the place that we can get to know him, Jesus. The two arms of our church, church planting, church development, well, it becomes normal to reach out and tell other people about Jesus, which is what church planting is. It becomes normal to do that, and it becomes normal to want to help other churches do that and for us to grow if the love of Jesus and the love of the Father are in us. We can't help ourselves. How could we not let other people know? And then, hospital, school, army. Has anyone got anything difficult going on in their life at the minute? It's almost a rhetorical question. If you have a pulse, you probably do. You probably do. But there is nothing in your life that cannot be made better by finding healing with Jesus Christ. By learning about who you are as a disciple of Jesus. By knowing that you are in a spiritual battle and learning to pray and take up arms in faith against the principalities and the powers that confront you absolutely nothing in your life that would not be better for not knowing that Mm -hmm. and living that. And then worship and compassion. Again, there is nowhere in the world that you could go to that you could experience the most sublime of all that exists in creation that can possibly compare to knowing the love of God as his son or daughter. Nowhere. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Do you know that scripture? I was at a conference once preaching And did a series of a few days in a row. And was getting, you know, building a relationship, getting to make friends. And I said, could I I ask, I'm going to ask you something for a show of hands. So I said, and I read that passage. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day in God's presence to know. One day to be perfectly at peace, know him as our father, to be filled with his presence. Better is one day like that than to live in the best home, in the best place in the world and have the perfect holidays all the time and never be ill and have amazing relationships. Better is one of those days with God than all of that. That's really what that scripture is saying and more. And I said, I asked them this question, I said, could we be really honest? How many of you would not swap the best of everything in life for one day with God? And about three quarters of the people put their hands up and started weeping. Because the honest acknowledgement was, I really have no idea how amazing God is and His love for me. And I would, and I regularly trade an experience of God for something else on a daily basis. It was a very profound moment. And we made a commitment as a, as a couple of thousand people to turn around and pray for one another and return ourselves to God and say, what's at stake is we just obviously don't know how amazing God is and who he is. He is life and the source of life, worship. And you see how suddenly it changes. Suddenly, it's an alternative way of living and being. It's not a huge effort. It's not an extra It's a way to be. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This way of life is rest. The insanity of how we lived before COVID was not rest. And the insanity is ramping up worse than ever. The kingdom. So lastly, why is this? And I'm guessing for many of us today, our relationship with the bride of Christ and the body of Christ is a battle because we are in the now and the not yet. The now and the not yet. And that might help you. Okay? Let's have the worship team come back. Come back, worship people. Would you stand? Let's stand. Lord, Lord, you came so that we might know you. You returned to the Father so that those who know you would be you in the world and so that we might become you in the world. Lord, forgive us for where we put you bottom of the list. Lord Jesus, you said the kingdom of God is at hand and you have a way for us to live as your people with one another where we might experience heaven open over us and miracles and signs and wonders and deliverance. And to see those who don't know you come to know you. So, as we worship now and as we sing, may we, by your Spirit, return ourselves to you. Amen.